Welcome to Pip Permaculture Podcast number 16 on the microbiome with Nikki Wagner. This podcast was proudly sponsored by Wholesome Supplies, suppliers of all your fermenting needs. Wholesome Supplies stocks a range of kits, cultures and organic seeds to help you make fermented, sprouted and traditional foods. Visit wholesomesupplies.com.au And now to the podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the PIP Permaculture Podcast. Today we're talking with Nikki Wagner, and a biochemist and nutritionist with an interest in gut health. And she's written an article in issue 12 of PIP magazine about the microbiome. Thanks, Nikki, for coming in. Thank you for having me. So firstly, there's been a lot of interest in microbiome lately and it's becoming much more popular and well-known and people know about it. But for those that don't, could you just explain exactly exactly what your microbiome is? Well, your microbiome is really the conglomerate of all of the bacteria and yeast and microbes that live on an inside of your body. But most people refer to your microbiome as your gut microbiota. So that's really all of the bacteria, yeast and other parasites, I guess, and other bacteria um, living in your gut that help you to digest your food. Okay, so it's obviously quite important to keep that in balance. Uh, What is the the role of it and what are the signs when it's not working that well, when it's out of balance? So your microbiome is really – it's the crossroads between not just your gut – so your, your digestive tract, but also your immune system, your nervous system, and it also produces some hormones. So in your gut and all the bacteria living in there, it's, it would be where everything comes together and where your body um, detects foreign invaders um, and sort of manages how it's going to deal with those. And it alerts, it alerts your brain, it alerts your immune system, your endocrine system, that those are there. Mm. So if it's, if it's not in balance, what are some of the signs that people might, some of the symptoms people might be feeling? The most general one would be fatigue, um, maybe some skin conditions. You would also might notice food intolerances that you'd never had before. Mm. So once that once your microbiome breaks down and your gut becomes permeable, which we call leaky gut, then proteins from the foods that you eat get into your bloodstream and your immune system then sort of mounts a response against them. So at that point you would notice that every time you ate a particular food, you would then have a bad response. Mm. You might have gut pain, you might get a flare-up in your skin, you might um, feel unwell, get a a brain fog, something along those lines. Mm. And then if it got really bad and it continued on that way, you might start to notice um, some autoimmune conditions. So you you might actually develop an autoimmunity and be diagnosed with that. So is it possible that, I mean, now there's so many people who are gluten intolerant or intolerant to lactose or whatever it is, is it possible that, yeah, just by fixing up 
the gut and the gut health that that will potentially fix those problems and it's not necessarily that they can't tolerate those foods but maybe it's more that their gut's just not working properly. Yes. Yes and no. So if you can catch it fast enough and it's not gotten to the point of autoimmunity, then yes, you should be able to re-establish a good microbiome and heal your gut lining and things should get better, right? If you let it get to the point where your immune system's gotten involved, your body's attacking itself, we don't really have a way to reverse back out of that because now your DNA for, say, say you... Um, became celiac. He was diagnosed as celiac, but before that, you'd never had celiac, okay? Um, or type one diabetes, maybe. We can't back you out of that anymore. Once those diagnoses are there, they're there. We can try to make you as well as we can from that point on, um, but we can't do anything about that. So we try to really get people to establish robust gut health prior to those kinds of. Um, prior to, to autoimmunity happening. So, so what causes it to be out of balance? So I think number one is poor food choices. So if we're not eating uh, proper food, if we're eating foods that are um, very processed, high in um, artificial ingredients, high in trans fats, that's the number one cause. Other things could be um, chlorinated water, uh, you know, we chlorinate water because we want to kill bacteria, but unfortunately when you start drinking that water, then it does kill your own bacteria yeah. as well. Yeah, um, mm. So antibiotics is another one, you know, if we're not really careful about the use of antibiotics, that can be another thing. Um, some medications and heavy metals, the, those are probably the biggest culprits, but I'd say primarily it's that we're, we don't have... Um, we're not making really good food choices and also that we're not coming into contact with a lot of different bacteria and kind of re-inoculating our gut, if you will, continuously with diverse bacteria. So how do we um, get those diverse bacteria? It's obviously through the foods we eat but also there are some other ways as well. Yeah, so visiting different places. So it's about breathing it in as well as getting, you know, soil on our hands or, um, yeah, just it's about visiting different places and being part of your environment and I guess getting all the different bacteria and yeast and, and fungus and everything that we should be coming in contact with back into us. I guess we're spending a lot of time inside and we're not we're not really part of our environment so much anymore. We feel quite separate from it. So if we try to become more friendly that with that, get out, take walks, swim, do all those things, um, then we'll be much healthier for it. Mm. So aside from yeah, spending more time in nature, which is great on many levels, I guess food is the next... So what what would you recommend people could do to start building up a healthier gut? I think choosing foods high in bacteria, so the ones we're familiar with would be things like yogurt and olives and cheese. 
But there are some other options like kefir milk would be if you want the best bang for your buck. That would be the one I would choose because it's easy to do. Um, it's only a 24-hour turnover and you've got you know really beautiful milk that you can make into smoothies or you can start yogurt with or mm. you know just drink. And it is also one of the – it has many ba- strains of bacteria in it. Um, and it also has something called – Lactoferrin, which is similar to um, colostrum. Mm. So it is a, something, it's a, a constituent that is really good for gut healing. So if you wanted to start somewhere, I would say that would be the one I would choose. Mm. Um, it's very easy. You know, you just make it on your counter. Mm. You don't have to sterilize anything. You, there's no special equipment. Mm. It's easy to do. So where can people get the water kefir, I mean the milk kefir crystals and where and how what could you just explain to people what it actually is and what what process is involved sure if you want to get the crystals first of all i would ask a friend find someone who who does it cuz likely that there's someone around who does it and you can get crystals from them um sometimes they're called grains or they're actually a scoby so what you do is you just get a small amount of it there's only like about a tablespoon really of a of the scoby and they look a bit like um Mm, little white beads that are stuck together, if you will, or, or um, swollen rice that's stuck together. Mm. So you put that in a glass jar with a couple cups of milk, and it can be just any milk, um, preferably full fat, mm. uh, as best quality milk as you can get. And then you put a muslin over the top with a rubber band and walk away for 24 hours. And basically, that's it. Mm. So after the 24 hours... You take out your grains, you move them on to a fresh cup of milk, or you can set them in a bit of milk in your fridge and let them just rest. When you want to do another batch, you take them back out again. Mm. So it is it is quite simple. And then you would take that milk that you've you've now cultured, if you will, and use it for, as I said earlier, maybe a smoothie. So just frozen fruit. Or you can use that to begin a yogurt if you wanted to use it as a starter for, for your yogurt. Um, or to make some cheese, perhaps. Mm. Sounds good. And then there's also water kefir. And how, how does that differ? And does that have the same benefits that you get from milk kefir? It doesn't have as many strains of bacteria in it. It is still good for you, nonetheless. So it is very similar in the process is a different SCOBY. So these crystals or grains are separate from one another and you put them into a glass jar. Again, you put water on it with a bit of um, sugar because the, the bacteria, the crystals, they're going to use that sugar and that's the fermentation process. So they're going to make acids, give off back, um, carbon dioxide, that's the bubbles in the water. So you let that sit on your bench with a lid on, in this case, so anaerobic, for a few days. And when you like the taste of it, you can, you know, stop the process, strain them out, start over again. If you want to keep going and make it a little bit more um, tangy, you can do a second ferment on your bench again for a few days mm-hmm. and flavor it at that point as well. and become more um, bubbly and fizzy at that, you know, after a few more days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's popular with kids and everyone. Yeah. So what other things can people do to help build up their 
microbiome and their gut biota? The next best thing I would say would be to fast. And I know that sounds a bit strange, but we know that people who have a particular bacteria called acromancia are more healthy. So when the, um, the um, Mediterranean diet came out and there was all the speculation about, oh, it's the olive oil, or no, it's the lean meat, no, it's all the vegetables, we now are thinking perhaps what's so good about the Mediterranean diet is that they actually fast for many days of the year in that they don't eat a third meal. So they eat two meals a day and leave out the third meal, which means that they go about 18 hours, you know, if they don't eat dinner, but they eat the next day's breakfast, that's about 18 hours without eating. And during that time, that bacteria, the acromancia, is able to proliferate. So it, it only multiplies when the gut is empty. And that may be what's actually keeping people who use a Mediterranean diet so healthy. Mm. And what does that, what's that um, bacteria responsible for? We don't actually know that yet as such. We just know that when we test people's gut bacteria, that if they have more of that, they tend to be healthier. So they tend to just rate healthier. And what about other foods that people can eat? Oh, things like sauerkraut, quite easy to make. You know, you can purchase it. If you're going to purchase it, make sure you get it out of the cold storage, not on the shelf where it's been pasteurized because there's no bacteria left in it then. Um, but you can make it quite easily at home. So it's just shredded cabbage, a bit of salt. You bash it up till the liquid starts coming out, pack it in a jar, put it on your counter for about five days, and that's it. It's ready to go. Put it in your fridge and start using it. So that costs about $2.50, maybe, however much cabbage costs. Um, and it's, it's very good for you. There's a lot of bacteria on the outside of the cabbage and, and other vegetables, and you're just encouraging that bacteria to, to proliferate, and then you eat it. And you get not only the bacteria, but you get actually more B vitamins. You get vitamin K. You get enzymes. There's a lot. It's actually more valuable to eat fermented cabbage, say, than raw cabbage. You'll get actually more nutrients that way. So if people are wanting to increase their micro the the health of their microbiome and their overall health and their gut health what are some what are the ways that they can do that well I'd start by removing anything that's not serving you so as we talked about before if you're eating processed foods or you're drinking chlorinated water I would remove those from from your diet and deal with stress so Stress is always going to be there. We're always going to have stressors in our life. But it's our response to stress that we need to manage. So the three things that I would deal with would be removing those processed foods, removing the chlorinated water, and managing stress, finding some way to manage that, whatever way suits you. Mm. The second thing would be to replace with other with things that are serving you. So you want to have whole foods. You want to have those probiotic foods that we spoke about. And you want to have something called prebiotics, which 
we would have called roughage, but now it's called prebiotics. It's those resistant starches and the indigestible fibers um, that feed, not us, but feed the gut bacteria. So they're just our, the bulk, the roughage that we just passes through us, but it actually feeds all the bacteria and it's what they live off of. So you need to have those two things um, together. So it's kind of like planting a garden. You put your probiotics in and then you need to feed them with your prebiotics. So what are you talking about when you're saying probiotics and prebiotics? What sort of foods can people be including in their diet that will help that? So it would be those, um, so yogurts and the fermented drinks that we spoke about. Mm. So kombucha, kefir water, kefir milk, um, the kimchi, the sauerkrauts, olives, um, preserved lemons, any of those fermented products, anything with um, that if you come across products where they use, say, kombucha to inoculate it, um, apple cider vinegar is another one. So any of those products, those are your, pre, your probiotics, that's your bacteria that you're adding in to your gut. And then your prebiotics would be Things like onions, garlic, your greens, um, asparagus, anything fibrous that you're that's going to pass through you. Anything that we would consider the roughage of our diet. Okay, and then what's the last thing that we were talking about that really helps to increase that microbiome? We'd be getting back to nature and being being part of the world around us again. So. Traveling to different places, swimming in different, you know, streams, getting microbes, you know, breathing them in, getting them into your mouth, getting them on your hands, digging in the soil. Um, I was given a good tip one time, which was to go to a place where there's a lot of ferns or older sorts of um, plants because they're the ones that are giving different bacteria to what we're used to. You know, go to see, you know, sit next to plants and and just breathe in. And you're actually getting the, the microbes that are around you into your body just by breathing them. Mm. So we also know that if you're, if you come into contact with someone who's unwell and they're breathing out bacteria that's not so good, that you can actually pass that back and forth. So you can actually inoculate, if you will, someone who's unwell with your good bacteria, but they can also do the opposite. So the same is true in the environment. So if you go and sit and read a book next to an old plant, you know, or swim in different waters than you're used to, that's where you're going to get really different bacteria and introduce other bacteria to yourself that you're not going to get while sitting at a desk, you know, as we normally do or driving our cars. So it's really getting back out there, making a few a few minutes even to walk the dog, or um, just go to the beach for for a, you know ten minutes and having a little walk. Anything like that will do. Mm. What about actually getting in under the water? Like, oh, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> and and getting your hands dirty and not being afraid yeah. to you know to have bacteria on your hands and rinse it off and then have your lunch. Don't you don't have to worry about. Scrubbing, you know, we don't want to be as clean as we thought maybe we should be, you know. Um, now we, we realise that we should be immersing ourselves in 
you know, in nature to keep ourselves healthy. And that segregation away from nature has really made us quite unwell. Mm. So is this something that's really developed over time as our societies have changed? Whereas once upon a time there was less refrigeration, so there was more preserving of food. Um, people were in touch with the natural environment a bit more. Just generally our lifestyles have changed now that there's more sitting at a desk on a computer, there's more kids playing inside and not being allowed to run off into the forest on their own because of different reasons. Exactly. So it's that, it's that life has shifted and everything, we've come inside and everything has become quick and processed and urgent and we've made, we've, we've created this life around that scenario instead of slowing down, being outside, you know, like you pointed out, not having refrigeration and um, needing to preserve foods in other ways. So it's, it is a cultural shift that we need to, to be focused on. So it's, it's something that we need to maybe go back to, to those older ways and, and start maybe reskilling people. Mm. And what about with kids in this um, field? Like do kids tend to sort of naturally have a fairly strong healthy gut or is it something again that over time it's become worse because there are more processed foods and there's less of that and also is there a worry of maybe giving things with bacteria to kids I know some people might be concerned that maybe there might be a bad bacteria that might affect kids negatively I don't know right so I guess there's a couple things there one is we do know that children who grow up on farms or with pets who are quote-unquote dirtier grow up to be healthier right and that's been known and, and we've kind of always said that it's like allow your children to do that they should get dirty yeah. so you don't really need to worry about about that they they are meant to be dirty that's that's they're inoculating themselves mm. um naturally not with a vaccination but with you know properly inoculating so you want them to do that i guess the other part of your question is there's a twofold answer is it getting worse over time? Well, because our lives are different and we are responding differently to life, yes, that, that's harmful. So they're not coming into contact with the bacteria that they should be, okay? The other thing is what's called the intergenerational transfer of disease. So if, you're, if a mom is not, doesn't have a robust microbiome, she can't pass that on to her baby. And that's when you establish your microbiome. So at birth, when you go through the birth canal, you're actually sterile prior to that. And you become inoculated with all of mom's bacteria once you are born. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't happen, say you're born via C-section and the first bacteria you come in contact with is skin flora, then you're more likely to have candida in your gut because that's the first thing you've come into contact with. So... Children, we need to be really cautious of children's health around those two points. Mm. What birth is like, what mom's health is like, and then what we allow them to do and eat and um, the activities we have them, you know, involved in as children. So we want to establish that good gut flora at beginning and then keep encouraging it through time. Mm. And obviously some people can't control exactly how their birth is and so are there things that people can do specifically if they haven't 
being able to expose their children to those things, their babies to that in birth to do as their young children to try and build that up naturally? Yes. The first thing I would say is if to talk to whoever, whoever is managing your birth at, at a hospital. So if, if you, um, things don't go to plan and you're not able to have the type of birth that you want, you want to have a natural, easy birth, that's all great. Whoever is managing that, you need to talk about with them, what are, you, what are they going to do if you happen to have a C-section? How is that going to be managed? And so these days they can swab mom and then swab the baby's mouth and try to inoculate them that way, which would be the first point of call. Like that's what I would be focused on at that point. And then I would just make sure that I was following all those things we talked about, you know, incorporating um, probiotics and prebiotics in everyone's meals, making sure that your children are able to go out and play in the dirt and have pets and be, you know, be children and just keep, keep living like that. So it would be, I would be focused on both, Mm. you know, you can't control it, but you can also, um, you can hope for the best, but plan for the worst really. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today, Nikki. I think it's really lots of information there for people to take home and yeah, hopefully we'll chat again soon. For more information about your microbiome, you can read the article by Nikki Wagner in issue 12 of PIP magazine and you can go to our website where we have many recipes for things like sauerkraut and kimchi and other fermented goodies. That's www.pipmagazine.com.au This podcast was proudly sponsored by Wholesome Supplies, suppliers of all your fermenting needs. Wholesome Supplies stocks a range of kits, cultures and organic seeds to help you make fermented, sprouted and traditional foods. Visit wholesomesupplies.com.au